0: The jury
1: concludes that these things are real and other than their wicked treasure. The three worlds continue to get the actual of this story of Paul. From the heart of Cascadia and the edge of the world, Euphomet presents Night Drift with Jim Perry.
2: Talk 1150 KKNWAM and worldwide at UFOMet.com. I'm Jim Perry, and you are listening to Night Drift, presented by Euphemet. Uh, tonight broadcasting from my home studio in the hinterlands of the Oregon coast at the edge of the world. Tonight, there are things that many people experience that are beyond belief. Ghosts, psychic impressions, Communication from the other side. But what if these things could be explained? Tonight, a ghost investigator shares stories of chilling encounters while in the field looking for those explanations. Context, a reason for the strange. Guest Amanda Paulson in our second segment. But first, Eleanor Criswell, a pioneer in psi research, tells us what cutting-edge research is suggesting about side Genes. And tonight we're going to jump right into it with Eleanor Criswell. Professor of Psychology and former Chair of the Psychology Department, Sonoma State University, founding Director of the Humanistic Psychology Institute, now Saybrook University. She is Editor of Somatics Magazine, the Magazine Journal of the Mind, Body, Arts, and Scientists, and Director of the Novato Institute for Somatic Research and Training. Her books include Biofeedback and Somatics Toward Personal Evolution, How Yoga Works, and Introduction to Somatic Yoga. She is the originator of somatic yoga and equine Hanna somatics. Her research interests include biofeedback, neurofeedback, psychophysiology, yoga, mind-body practices, somatics, and meditation. Eleanor is also an Institutional Review Board Member of the Institute of Noetic Sciences, Eleanor, welcome to the program tonight.
3: Jim, thank you so much. I'm so pleased to be able to participate in your program.
2: Yeah, well, it's fantastic to meet you. It was great to look back on your career, in which we hope I hope we get to dive into a little bit here in a second. But, you know, listen, the article you wrote for the Institute of Noetic Sciences called How Psychic Suppression May Impact the Heredity of Psy Genes. Wow, it, it, it really blew my mind. And um, let's see if we can walk through some of the research ideas and experiences described in that. But maybe first... We can start with you. So, how would you describe your career in the study of uh, psychic abilities?
3: Mm. Well, I have been um, experiencing a certain part of it probably all my life. So, mm. um, as I became a psychologist and a professor at Sonoma State University, and it was congruent with the times. Mm. Uh, early, early 70s and so forth and so on um, yeah. I became aware of the fact that there were people I showed up in my psychotherapy practice where there were people coming to see me who had psychic abilities mm. and one of their problems was they didn't know what it was and it frightened them and it made them feel uncomfortable in their lives and so forth and so on and i recognized that they were actually really psychic (laughs) so i helped them come to understand what that is and how it might play a role in their lives and that it was part of their potential Mm. and it contributed to their feeling more confident in the world and understanding themselves better and other people better. So from there I decided that I wanted to teach people how to work with people who yeah. were sensitives or who were psychics. And so I at Sonoma State University I organized classes that would teach people about parapsychology. Uh, We had a student club there called the Ubiquity Club, where Mm -hmm. students who were interested and felt identified with it and so forth gathered together. They did quite a bit. We had quite a bit of activity around that topic. And then I also created the Psychic Integration Institute, which Mm -hmm. was designed to um, teach professionals, wherever they were, how to work with people who had psychic were expressing psychic abilities, and it was quite active at the time, and um, I brought together for one of the conferences experts in parapsychology from all over the United States and some from other countries, and um, it was very interesting. I coined the phrase psychic liberation in Mm. those days. There were all kinds of other liberations going on, and I felt that people with psychic abilities should be freer in the world and so forth and so on. Right. Yeah, should have access to their abilities. and So it was quite active. Now, at that time, the field of parapsychology was also quite active. Mm-hmm. Soon after that, it went underground, as did I. I don't know what sparked it and all... Um, mm-hmm areas, I don't know what, because I see that now when I read the parapsychology literature that was quite a high point, and then it became pretty quiet for a number of years.
2: Now, when you say you went underground, how would you describe that?
3: Well, I stopped teaching my class at Sonoma State University. I stopped writing about it. Mm -hmm. I stopped various things. I have continued To work with people who have psychic abilities. I also teach it in my, I teach a somatic yoga training program Mm. through the Novato Institute. And in yoga, it is one of the cities. I mean, not not one of the cities. It is the cities, S-I-D-D-H-I-S. It is the paranormal abilities that develop through yoga training and yoga practice. It's quite accepted. It's very accepted in India. Um, It's one of the philosophical approaches. Um, In the United States, we've been trying really hard to prove that it exists. Mm. Um, In India, they don't spend time proving that it exists. They already know it exists. (laughs) Right, right. (laughs) And they are very intuitive. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, it's quite, quite in a different category. Eleanor,
2: so I already feel in this short conversation we're having here today, you're dropping so many tasty breadcrumbs for our listeners uh-huh. to go back, listen to, and look up some of these things. Yeah. Uh, listen, how, you know, you must have had personal Psy experiences yourself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Can you describe uh, some of those instances to us and, and how they affected you?
3: Okay. So I, I, <laughs> I am, as i said in the article i tend to be telepathic mm. and precognitive mm. and so on the telepathic side i may know what people are thinking on the one hand that's a good thing and the on the other hand it's not so good
2: because i can, I can understand that <laughs> can
3: you imagine How about if you were uh, knowing what all your listeners were thinking or a lot of them were thinking? Well, Uh,
2: I do know know Eleanor and they, you know, love what's happening here as well. Oh, good. Sorry, continue.
3: (laughs) Anyway, so being precognitive, I know where one of the ways that it comes up for me is that if a person tells me something that they're going to do, my mind goes into the future to see how it goes. You know, mm. How did it turn out? Was that a good idea? You know, Is that a direction for their lives? Yes. And so I can then be very supportive of them. Mm. For, for example, there is um, a university called Meridian University in Petaluma, and the co-founder of it um, said to me one day... <clears throat> Um, My wife, his name is Afdab Omar, and his wife, Melissa Schwartz, they said, we think we're going to, we're thinking of creating an institute, a graduate school. And so I took what they said, and I said, I think you can do it. Well, he thought that I just confirm everything anybody says. Mm. No, I sense into the future how this is going to turn out, whether they can do it or not. And I say, you know, I think you can do it. It is now, I don't know how many years old now. Maybe it's 30 years old. They've done very well with it. It lives happily ever after. So that's something I've been able to do with many of the students and graduate students and postgraduate people who tell me about things that they plan to do. So sometimes my precognition is not a very happy picture. Mm. But sometimes I'm sensing where something is going. And one of the things that I have discovered with that is that if you are precognizing something and it's not a, a good outcome, basically you can't stop it. You can mm. try all kinds of things to keep it from happening, but it will grind on toward happening.
2: Mm, so it's been, destiny in some sort.
3: Maybe, maybe. Um, one of the things that has been said about that, <clears throat> and research in, in um, co- coincidences and so forth and so on, ha- have shown that you cannot really change it. But what they also say is, you don't know about the ones you were able to change because they didn't happen. Mm. so it sort of loads the (laughs) dice toward um they're not stoppable knowing (laughs) it in advance helps you adjust to it prepare for it yeah come to terms with it and so forth so it is useful but it's kind of painful to be watching it move toward it happening Do you
2: hear those stories from individuals that you're helping of, of, uh, of people that are precognitive, for example, they're able to predict these things happening in the future and they're coming to grips with that ability because tragedies have occurred in their life that they've been able to see.
3: Yes. In fact, some of them will, let's say have a dream. And see, there's a lot of research on dream side, for example, Stanley Krippner, Mm -hmm. um, and colleagues over the years, they were at Maimonides many years ago doing some of the research on dreams and parapsychology. Mm. And so there are people who have dreams of something that's going to happen. It's, a, it's, para, it's um, precognitive in their dream. And so I have had people tell me, and to be f- afraid because, you know, when I had a dream like that, it actually happened. And, um, and I had another dream like that, and it scared me. It scares me. So coming to terms with it as a process. In fact, uh, Dean Radin has done some wonderful research on prescience in animals
0: mm, that they yeah.
3: do know. And I've also experienced that with horses. They and other people have as well, that they know what happens before it happens. They're knowing before it happens. Mm. So helping the person recognize that as a natural, normal thing is very important for their sense of self and self-confidence and comfort in the world and so forth. And then you have to come to accept the reality of things. Mm. The what is the, the, you know, how things are structured. Yes, that typically does happen.
2: Yeah, because you're finding yourself in a different relationship to the nature of reality at that point, aren't you? Yes,
3: yes. And then also coming to terms with that has its positive side as well. So on the other side of it, something better may happen, something that was more more suited to you and is actually beneficial. Mm -hmm. And there are Mm -hmm. stories about that apocryphal the, park, it, the, park, the tales.
2: Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I I can imagine that's a that's a really heavy load to be able to help people understand that. And I assume that there's probably people that you try to help that you just can't help, right? And they refuse to believe, even though this you know, what you're trying to do is, is really based on evidence and a lot of research mm-hmm. and study.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are people who do insist on keeping their perspectives, even though they are not helpful to them. Mm -hmm. And you might say that as they go on in their lives, this may change. But where they are right now, they are not wanting to accept. And I think that's true of some people in general. When they're first coming across it for themselves, they don't want to believe it to start with. Yeah, And then they can learn more about it. I have one client that I've had that I've trying to help her understand certain things. And I would love to have her be able to read some of the books about it, some of the research, some of the things. But she's not particularly a reader. So I have to tell her about it. But um, it's hard for her to accept.
2: Yeah. Well, we'll it's on it yeah it's it's uh it's dealing with the human aspect of this right and so much of that is human nature right i mean uh, my wife and i were just looking at the news of a coastal location that we're near where uh, individuals in this rv park you know we're experiencing tremendous flooding up here in the pacific northwest Mm -hmm. people were warned hey listen everybody you need to get out of here or you're going to be flooded and and we'll have to try to rescue you later or or Mm -hmm. worse and 30 people left and 30 people just decided to stay. Mm-hmm. And it was almost as if it is within human nature for us to kind of, you know, um, show me before I believe it and mm-hmm. or I just don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. In, in terms of human nature and in terms of what we're capable of, you know, based on your research, do you believe psychic abilities uh, can be hereditary?
3: Yes, Yes, I do. Because also I've known people. I myself have a little bit of it in my family and read a lot about it. And so yes, I do believe that. And in this article that I did for the Institute of Noetic Sciences, I was talking about since they found, and this is very preliminary research, very small sample size and much more research needs to be done with it. They were trying to look at whether there were any genetic markers for it
0: mm-hmm. in families.
3: And so they selected uh, some people, very carefully selected them, who said that they were psychic and had had it in their families and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. And then they selected a number of them that were reportedly not you know, very carefully saying that they weren't yeah. psychic, and and it wasn't in their families and so forth. And then they did some uh, genetic testing with them, and found <clears throat> that there were some anomalies, but they showed up in the non-psychic people, hmm. not the psychic people.
2: Interesting. It was okay. so
3: so interesting, and I thought, ah, it sort of came to me in a flash. <laughs> that perhaps that was what was being passed on,
0: hmm. not
3: being psychic. Somehow, wow. Genetically, because I think it's very natural. I think it's part of human um, abilities. It's part, certainly part of other animals. We are also an animal, and um, I think it is a natural way of being in the world. Yeah. And so what stops it? And so it could be a culture like we see the difference between India and the United States, where in India it is more accepted and more expected in Mm. in everyday life. And in the United States, it's not. And as I said earlier, we're busy. Our, Our wonderful parapsychological researchers do incredibly fine research so carefully constructed. And so carefully measured and so carefully statistically analyzed. And they come up with some very statistically significant outcomes and still science as a whole will not accept their research. See, what
2: I don't understand about that now, Eleanor, uh is especially because of the emergence of all of this uh, interest and press around mm-hmm. scientific exploration of UAPs, right? Mm-hmm. of UFOs of things in the mm-hmm. sky. Mm-hmm. Why has it not yet uh you know that sort of interest that press been uh, I don't know presenting uh the research that those 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 individuals have done in inside mm-hmm. research. Because mm-hmm. I feel like there's an overwhelming mm-hmm. abundance of ev- evidence over there just waiting mm-hmm. for their own New York Times article in the mm-hmm. year 2021.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, I think, well, there's something, the sociology of science, a whole field of looking at what cultures or societies will accept hmm. for various reasons. And, and so their are forces going on like if you want to, to publish in a peer-reviewed journal it's going to peer re, be peer-reviewed yeah. and it may get rejected hmm. because of attitudes, biases and all those sorts of things. So um, getting an article in a mainstream journal from the parapsychological research has not always been easy. Hmm. simply because of those kinds of biases. So uh, we can have some things breaking through in some parts of society while other parts are, are uh, rejecting it and so forth. So Dean Radin, who is an incredible scientist, he is just astonishing. Uh, IONS is, uh, was once Director of Research He spends a whole lot of some of his books talking about the research, the highly statistical significance of the findings, and how it has been blocked in so many ways. He's quite quite knowledgeable about all of that.
2: So it's up to the people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's amazing. And listeners can go back and, and listen to a conversation I had with Dean Raiden last year here on this very podcast mm-hmm. feed. But but go ahead, uh, Just Eleanor. It's, a, it's up to the people. Yeah, It's
3: up to the people. In many fields, it has been up to the people, up to us to yeah. bring it forward because we believe in it. We've experienced it. We wanted to be part of the, the, the conversation of our part of the world. And so, it's up to programs like this and articles and word of mouth and all of that that really makes the difference, makes the change.
2: Yeah. Uh, for those listening, Eleanor, what are some of the things that they can do to better understand this topic? Maybe they're completely new mm-hmm. to it.
3: Mm-hmm. Well, Dean wrote a really nice book um, in which he was looking at it in relationship to. to um, well, he was actually. His book, Real Magic, is a really good delving into that. Where yes. real magic, there's pseudo magic, mm-hmm. and then there's real magic. And he's in it, he says that in those states of union where you have achieved integration and unification, that's when real magical things can happen. So there are practices within yoga, and with other meditative traditions, and all of that, and some other ways, even in sports, and dance, and so forth, where you can enter into some of those states in which psi is more possible. Uh, We used to talk about something called Psy-conducive states of consciousness, Mm -hmm. where you're in an altered state because of something that you've done. Maybe you're listening to music or playing music or dancing or whatever. You're in an altered state. And at that point, those abilities are more accessible. If a person practices yoga and meditation over the years, they may become more intuitive. And it's a good thing to know that because Mm. when it starts happening it can be startling, yeah. Because all of a sudden, <laughs> you have information you didn't know that you had, hmm. and you wonder. This gets us back to psychic counseling. You know what happened. You know who am I now that yeah. I can do this. So there are a lot of lot of practice. You can even practice uh, reading things. That is. Uh, There's some books that will, I can't think of titles right now. I think that, back to Dean again, he is working on a book about it that will have more in it about how to do various things. Um, But there are various practices, even in books that are, you know, just sort of putting out practices that they have found interesting and helpful and so forth. Yeah. Um, practicing even practicing reading people mm. that is you can sit with a friend and you can meditate together mm. and at a certain point you can talk about what was this person thinking is that music telling us we're concluding
2: <laughs> yeah but go ahead and finish your thought
3: okay just yeah. that uh, you can as do it as if proceed as if you actually were able to Mm. and notice sometimes that actually you are able to
2: yeah right yeah you're you're believing into it you're Mm -hmm. leaning into it believing into it well Mm -hmm. uh eleanor where can people find your work
3: uh they can google me eleanor criswell or eleanor criswell hannah uh they can email me at my i guess if they want to talk with me Okay. my university address chriswell at sonoma.edu
2: great and excellent and we'll have links up in our show notes as well to your website great. and the article and and other ways people can uh get into your work uh eleanor listen it was a pleasure meeting you and i can't wait to talk to you again
3: great wonderful jim thank you so much i'm very honored to be part of it.
2: oh thank you so much and, and have a good night eleanor
3: thank you jim bye-bye
2: all right, and right after this break, everyone, reports from a ghost investigator in the field, Amanda Paulson joins us. And we'll be taking your calls, 888-298-KKNW. That's right after this on Night Drift with Jim Perry. The show on social media at Ufomet, Euphomet. E U
0: P H O M E T.
2: What's better on a chilly fall night than curling up in front of the TV for a great scary movie? And nobody has a better collection of horror, thriller, and the supernatural than Shudder, the best streaming service for horror. Shudder is the exclusive home for found footage hit VHS 94. A Shutter original. Shudder's expertly curated collection includes must-see titles like Vicious Fun, The Mortuary Collection, and PG, Psycho Goreman. Plus, all the best horror documentaries and the hit Creepshow TV series from executive producer Greg Nicotero of The Walking Dead. And thanks to AMC Network Shudder, you have met listeners can watch all of that and more for free right after you finish this episode. To try Shudder for free for 30 days, go to Shudder.com, and use promo code UFAMED. That's S H-U-D-D-E-R.com. Promo code UFAMED. Binge the latest seasons of Creepshow and Slasher, both exclusively on Shudder. Catch new episodes of drag competition show The Belay Brothers' Dragula and new docuseries Behind the Monsters on the origins and pop culture dominance of your favorite modern movie monsters. I watch on my Apple TV with some stove-popped popcorn and throw it all up in the air with every jump scare that happens. It's not too hard to get into what you're watching on Shudder. New exclusives this month include Nicolas Cage in Prisoners of Ghost Land and Killer Shark movie Great White. You can watch those films and more for free right after you finish this episode. New stuff is added weekly. It's just $5.99 a month or $56.99 a year. But you can try Shudder for free for 30 days and help support Euphomet while you're at it. Just go to Shudder.com, S-H-U-D-D-E-R.com, and use promo code UFAMed. <laughs> Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, 1150 AM, KKNW, Seattle. Now, here again is Jim. Back here again on Night Drift. And if you want more of the program, you can find it wherever you listen to podcasts. Please subscribe, rate, and review. And don't forget to subscribe to Euphomet while you're at it. That's the podcast that produces this show, E-U-P-H-O-M-E-T. And for more information, visit euphomet.com. Next week, our guest will be Joshua Lingfelder, the co-founder of Randonautica, the social exploration app that took the world by storm during the pandemic era. They actually have a new guide out. That's next week at 5 p.m. Pacific time, 8 p.m. Eastern here on Alternative Talk 1150 KKNWAM in Seattle. And you can stream it, of course, at youfmet.com. I'm also just learning about skinwalkers trending on TikTok. (laughs) This program's producer, Odie, just clued me into that before the show. I wonder what this is all about, and I wonder if we can learn more about that next week as well. But for now, lines are open. Have you had a Psy experience? Maybe you've had a ghost story. Maybe something here within the Pacific Northwest has kept you up at night. You can call us, 888-298-KKNW. Amanda Paulson is a paranormal investigator located in Spokane, Washington. She has been a paranormal enthusiast her entire life, but her investigating experience started in 2008 when she joined a ghost hunting team in Billings, Montana. Since moving to Washington in 2010, Amanda has investigated all over the United States and in 2019 began began serving as a representative on the Spokane Historic Landmarks Commission as a highly sensitive person. Amanda Amanda has had experience with the occult since she was a young child, but through a scientific approach, seeks to substantiate paranormal claims with solid evidence and give peace and understanding to those experiencing paranormal activity. As a creator of pretty effin' spooky media enterprise, Amanda is a lifelong seeker of the unknown and lover of anything that might make you say, that's pretty frickin' spooky. <laughs> Amanda, welcome so much to Night Drift.
0: Hi Jim, thanks
2: so much for having me. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, we are on broadcast radio, and it—it—you it, it, know, being a podcaster that took a lot of effort and strength to say that uh, particular phrase the right way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> you did great. You got yeah. all the good bits in there. I think. <laughs> yeah.
2: Thank, thank you. All right. So um, you are you travel you travel all over the world really looking into haunted locations you are boots on the ground as 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 much as they come and you have some recent trips that you've you've done over the last couple months that you'll be sharing with us tonight and 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 your experiences there yeah
0: yeah yep so I've been really lucky to get to travel all over Um, the U.S. this year. And then uh, next year, I'll be a worldwide ghost hunter traveling overseas. But um, yeah, I do have some really cool investigations uh, and experiences to share with you today.
2: Oh, fantastic. Why don't you first take me to your recent trip to North Carolina?
0: Yeah. So um, I was invited by a woman named Shelby. She owns uh, a company called Tamed Wild. And she also is a new owner of a place called the Melange Inn in Hendersonville, North Carolina. Hmm. And um, she wasn't entirely sure if the inn was haunted, but she wanted it to be investigated. And she invited me to come down and stay with her. So um, I ended up staying in a cabin uh, that she put me up in. And, you know, the cabin part of this trip I didn't think would be It would be spooky as well i was fully um intending to just investigate this haunted melange inn and that would be it but the cabin itself actually put me into the appalachian forest into Mm. into a a world that i have never spent time in before so um yeah it was it was very interesting my um couple nights at the cabin were Um, kind of strange. I later found out that it's also haunted there. It it seems like the entire area of like, um, near Asheville is where I was, but, um, in a smaller town, it seems like that whole area near the Appalachian mountains is kind of haunted. Um, so, so my time at the cabin was kind of spooky, got to investigate a little bit there. Um, and then came my night at the Melange, which, um, which was incredible. Mm. (laughs) Um, yeah so uh I'll just jump right into that night, I guess, but um the this inn I don't believe has ever been investigated before, and that was a first for me i um I've investigated a lot of famous locations that have had a lot of people come through and try to um, communicate with its ghosts mm-hmm. um but it was a first for me, and I didn't really i it kind of threw me off guard to come into a building that I then realized like, wow, these spirits or this energy that's here it hasn't been spoken to directly in a long time if ever because this had just changed uh changed ownership just recently i think within uh 2020 she bought it and before that the inn wasn't being um i gosh i don't know they just weren't doing as well there there wasn't very many people staying there um it was an older couple and just and just people who didn't who didn't want to uh want to approach the the subject of its ghosts so and
2: we see that a lot right there's historic mm -hmm. locations all over the place that you know they they don't want to be associated with anything ghostly
0: (laughs) oh absolutely i see that a ton in spokane washington for some reason Mm. um and and yeah I, i mean it's a touchy subject it can be kind of scary to people who um either don't understand it or have their own particular beliefs about the other but um but Shelby, who, who owns the Melange now, um, is very open to the idea of it being haunted and to the idea of just letting it be haunted and let the spirits kind of roam and hang out there and let it be like a safe space for them. So mm. that was a really cool environment to go into. Um, and yeah. she did put me into a suite that night that um, that she... it was the only suite that she had gotten any ghost stories out of from recent guests. So she put Hmm. me in what she thought was like the most haunted room. Um, Little did I know I would stay in the entire inn completely alone. (laughs) I I thought that there would be other people staying there, um, which seems to be my MO lately. But um, I really thought, yeah, yeah. After my uh, foray at a Lizzie Borden house where I had the entire place to myself uh, back in April, And then I just keep ending up at these places where they're like, you're alone and no one else is here. And I'm, (laughs) (laughs) I'm grateful, but, um, but it's really a test uh, to my ability to like fight through natural fear and adrenaline and just yeah
2: it's oh my gosh and and as an investigator you probably don't want the to paint your investigation like your natural human instincts to kind of be uh a little bit frayed or a little bit on edge because of the stories that you've been told or or just basically being in old buildings that are dark (laughs) it's it's a little intense Uh uh-oh amanda did we lose you
0: Sorry about that.
2: That's (laughs) all right. Sorry about that. Muted
0: myself. Um, But yes, um, it is really intense to be alone by yourself in a in a location and uh, and like it it is really interesting to try and um, wrestle with the psychological element that's going on. Of you know, I know I'm here alone. There's absolutely nothing I can blame this activity on other than a supernatural like right. reason you know and um and a, a lot of time it, it's forced me to not brush a lot of things aside as being like a regular um normal thing um right. and it's had me try to like really look um the supernatural in the face like look this phenomena in the face and and be like this is really happening it's right here with me and i'm the only one it has to hang out with so yeah. so i i have to i have to do it but um i i also investigate by myself primarily for those listening who don't know i am a solo investigator now um although i do travel and and go investigate with other people but um since i'm a solo investigator some things um some experiments like the estes method i i can't quite um perform by myself so uh, it's led me to have to do things like that on um, like live, like, uh, Instagram live or, um, video chat basically. Um, which is something that I did at the Melange wow. with great okay. success.
2: So, wow. So you actually phone in assistance from either an in, like, in Instagram audience or particular people that can help you in, uh, divination techniques like that?
0: Um, in this instance, I did uh, reach out to my friend, Celeste Mott, um, who I knew was available. Um, and she's uh, in like New Orleans. So I said, I I need some help. Uh, will you hop on Instagram live with me? So, um, and my assumption and, um, you know, theory is that these kind of like ITC methods or like communicating with the other doesn't necessarily Mean you both have to be present. I think it, it energy just flows in, in all sorts of ways that we don't understand. So why can't we, you know, ghost hunt over the phone? Um, and mm. uh, so, so Celeste ended up helping me while I went um, in the box she calls it. But I, I was uh, with headphones on and, and uh, blindfold on in the Melange Inn. Celeste is in her house on live asking me questions or asking the spirits questions and um i'll tell you that was um very scary uh, to be blindfolded and with uh, noise isolating headphones on in a building where you're completely alone that was definitely um kind of uh i don't know difficult to do but uh but we i had great success with it um we communicated with a few different spirits um and most interestingly we caught a dog barking on the Instagram live, which I now have on my Instagram page, but we heard a dog barking, which sounds like it's coming from the like bottom main lobby of the inn. And um, why that's interesting is because the owner's daughter had actually told me at dinner that night that her and her friends had seen the ghost of a dog in the basement of the oh my inn. Gosh. And <laughs> then we get this dog barking on the Instagram live And, um, and it's so fascinating if anyone goes and watches it, it's like, because there's no dog barking before it barks for about, I don't know, 20 seconds. And then it just stops. And it sounds, it has that very particular, um, echo that sounded like it was coming from the lobby, which has marble floor and is very big with high ceilings. So, yeah. And so that was my, yeah, that was my favorite part. And that, that doesn't happen very often for me with like animal spirits like that like animal ghosts that doesn't typically happen for me so um very exciting uh, amanda
2: is is there any possibility that you have that audio on hand or close by on your phone or or something is there any way that we could listen to that
0: oh my gosh let's see one second
2: you you look at that for for a minute uh we're gonna go to the phones right now uh john is on the line uh john thanks for calling night drift where are you calling from
1: Hey Jim, I am calling from Shoreline, Washington.
2: This is this is John. This is my John.
1: This is John McEdward. Yeah, <laughs> this good is John guy.
2: McEdward. Uh, John McEdward scores euphemet. John, thank yeah. you so much. Thank you so much. You also have your 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 own podcast, which I'll let you you know drop a plug for here in a minute. What's going on, man?
1: Hey, I you know it's actually really good timing because the story I wanted to share happened about 10 years ago involved, you know, dreaming, a lot of liminality and some kind of poltergeist horror movie trope in it. So I thought it was a good mix of everything.
2: Yeah. Yeah. What, what happened?
1: So, uh, in my kind of late teens, early twenties, I would, I would lucid dream quite often and, The peak being when I was like 19 or 20, I had my own like one bedroom apartment. And I would lucid dream there pretty much every night. And Mm -hmm. um, for me, you know, with lucid dreaming also came tons of sleep paralysis, night tears, you know. And it got so bad that I started just avoiding the bedroom because I just associated it with sleep paralysis Wow. Um, when I would sleep like in the living room it wouldn't really happen so I just dragged my mattress out there and started sleeping in the living room and uh, one night I fall asleep and then I do what I call like open my second set of eyes like my hmm. little lucid dreaming eyes you know yeah. I, uh, I do that and I immediately start floating and um, this time, I'm being pulled or dragged to the room. <laughs> so What? The, the room I was trying to avoid wouldn't let me get away, I guess. And oh,
2: my gosh. So John. I'd
1: always have the door closed, but this time there was no door. It was just like a black void, right? Oh, no. And I get pulled into the black void, and I'm in the darkness for a bit, and then... I enter this just, like, the most terrifying nightmare I've ever had to this day. Oh, my gosh. none of my, like, wake-yourself-up tricks were working, you know. I was just trapped. Um, Finally, the dream ended, and I float out of the darkness and then, you know, land my head on the pillow and wake up. Hmm. And um, so now that room's not just, like, I'm like terrified of it, right? And um, I'd always leave the door closed. Well, one day I'm uh, on the couch, the door's closed. I go over to grab a book off the shelf, and while I'm bent down next to the door, um, there's three knocks on the other side of the door, Hmm. right by my head. And I just kind of like, inch back, you know, go to the couch and just stare at the door for a while until I get yeah. the courage to open it and see. Yeah, there's no one in there. <laughs> I don't know what happened.
2: Oh my gosh, John. Holy smokes. Uh, uh, Amanda, yeah. have you have you heard anything like this before in your experiences?
0: Um, I have not, to be honest.
2: <laughs> yeah, th- there is something there is something to like these sort of phantom knocks and how they tie together both sort of a dream state that in between and then whatever else this is that we're experiencing in, in, in my experience.
1: Yeah. I've, I mean, I've heard the three knocks like in between the, you know, when you're like not quite asleep yet and it wakes you up. Wow. But like in the actual kind of like, you know, our reality, that was, extra and i know daniel noah even talked about that as you know yeah like a, yeah. a horror movie trope now yeah
2: so. yeah that's what happens and i'm sure you've experienced some of that as well amanda like some of this stuff feels like a horror trope doesn't it
0: oh absolutely yeah
2: yeah it uh, it's almost too it's too spooky to be true it's too right on the nose um unfortunately we've run out of time amanda uh, I, I would love to have you back on Uh, maybe to hear some of that uh, footage or we can give them a link in the show notes for that particular video is what we'll do. And thank you so much to our guest, Eleanor Criswell, our guest, Amanda Paulson. And uh, thank you so much, John, for calling in. And thank you for listening to Night Drift with Jim Perry on Alternative Talk, KKNW 1150 AM Seattle. You can hear the show anytime on its podcast feed, wherever you listen to them. Go to ufmet.com for more and join us next Sunday. And until then, keep looking up.